Well, hello, Jacob L. Cooper. Hey, Josh. Thank you for having me on you know, your podcast, your show. Big fan um, of you and your work, and I'm just so glad we you know, made this happen today. Yeah, me too. I'm excited for this one. We were talking off air. Uh, oh, I, I'm supposed to say subscribe. That's, that's what I'm supposed to say at the beginning and end of every podcast. So subscribe, people. Um, no, I, I had uh, – we, we were talking off air about Robert Ginsburg who came on a while back who, you know, he deals with – his nonprofit deals with um, afterlife science. And after talking to him, he, uh, you know, he himself has not had a near-death experience. But the near-death experience discussion was so fascinating to me. I was like, I need to find somebody who's had one. And I started looking through and I saw you and what made me so exciting about uh, excited about talking to you was you've had a near-death experience, but you're also so much more than that. I mean, mm -hmm. like you have, you're, you're a therapist, you deal with people with depression and anxiety. Um, and uh, I'm very curious as to how your spirituality that you garnered through your NDE informs your therapy and your life. Yeah, no, it it's a great question, uh, Josh. Um, well, I, I always think to myself, you know, and in this world, it's people vacillate between the two, but there's givers and takers in life. You know, it's people who think that life is all about them, you know, and more accumulation and just buying into a lot of the cultural myth of, you know, getting the better job, the bigger house, the bigger car, all those things that we're brought up in and then there's people who understand that life has more meaning when there's a ripple effect from you and your your life and your ability to uplift others and so yes i know you mentioned i had an nde um but i could have easily just had this nde and just held on to it and not done anything with it but i i decided to i'm sorry i'm having some sound issues um, I decided. I can't hear you. I lost you. Yeah, let's see if we can get you back on here. I was hearing you fine. Yeah, we're having some sound issues with Mr. with the uh, with Jacob Cooper here. Hold on one second. He is. Now I've lost him completely. <laughs> I got you. Okay, good. There we go. There okay. we go. Got you back. My apologies. So my NDE, you know, was an opportunity to give back a beautiful experience to other people. And I could have easily just held on to it, but I recognize that life is just so much more, you know, than myself. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's it was given back life when it was taken from me. And just my goal is to give that back to other people, you know, that experience and what I felt. That's awesome. You know, how old were you when you had your NDE? I was just three years old. Wow. <laughs> three, I'll say that again, three years old, because I myself, you know, people tell me don't say this, but I'm my biggest skeptic. And I think oh. most of us are to a degree, like we doubt ourselves. That's a very human thing, you know, to doubt, but it's not a spiritual thing. We're kind of taught that. And so it's been hardwired in my psyche just to, 
not believe because you know, we're in a reality that doesn't believe in you know that believes in things that are small but doesn't believe in things that are big usually and uh yeah. that's a good way to not, put it if it's not in front of us we don't believe it <laughs> if it goes beyond we're, we're we're wired this way but um i for a while didn't believe i was three years old i thought maybe i was four maybe i was five and so i just a couple of years ago came up to my dad and i just asked him you know how old was i when i had my nde and he said you were three and i'm just like wow and then he told me that shortly after i had my nde i approached him and i said you know hey dad you know something and i'm paraphrasing I'm using my language here but something profound happened when i went to the hospital when i was rushed by the ambulance and it's not going to make sense now, but one day you'll understand, you know, mm -hmm. what I experienced that day. But something happened that day, and I want you to know. And so hearing all these validational points just makes me ground this experience a lot more. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, as a therapist, I look at this through a multitude of angles. I'm like, geez, I was three years old, and I still have full retention from it. I'm just I'm, I'm amazed by, by that myself. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. And, and uh, it goes, that was one thing that uh, Bob said that I thought was really interesting was because I, I talked with him a little bit about there has been some discussion that you can mimic what happens in a near death experience with ketamine or psychedelics. Hmm. And he brought up, he said, that's true. You, you do get some sort of similar experience, but it's not as profound hmm. or as, or as, um, uh, as as much recall as you do in a near-death experience. And it's interesting to hear that at three years old, you can still have recall of what you saw. Right. Well, I, I really attribute trauma and the mm. gift of trauma, mm. you know, to at least for myself and for many others. Because when you think about it, the majority of people, when they're about to cross over, when they have NDEs, you know, unless it's like very sudden, you know, they just, be, they, they suffocate, you know, and they lose a, the ability to breathe. And at least that's what happened to me. And that was just the scariest couple of moments of my life that felt like an eternity of just suffering. And mm. it was, it was, it was devastatingly difficult, but I think that was the gift um, that allowed me to really remember this combined with the fact that this experience happened far beyond my brain. You know, you see, in, in our world, we think, the scientists at least, will say that the brain produces life, you know, when without the brain, there is no life. And my NDE and other NDEs will, will reference that life is not started from the brain, but it's just filtered through the brain. Mm. You know, and at least for myself, my brain was not functioning, but but yet I had this beautiful mind that that exploded. Yeah, wow. That went beyond my own brain. So how do you right. explain that? <laughs> sure, sure. So uh, tell me, at three years old, I got to think that you, even if your family was religious, took you to church, things like that you really didn't have any sort of religious base to have a near-death experience. Is that fair? Like, I mean, what I mean by that is your, your near-death experience wouldn't be filtered through some sort of religious bias that you would have at three years old. No, I mean, I grew up 
you know, Jewish Orthodox, you know, you could tell my name, Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what, what I experienced and so many other near-death experiencers share is that the life that we live before the NDE has, for the most part, nothing to do with what you experience on the other side. Meaning the religious belief systems or your viewpoints, you know, grounded in religion, there's, there's usually very little symmetry with what you experience. You see people who are from, you know, the Muslim faith or people who are Jewish like myself, Christians, atheists, uh, whatever it is, Buddhists, and they all experience totally different uh, themes in their NDE when they cross over to the other side that have absolutely nothing to do with their prior set of beliefs or lack thereof. Mm. Mm -hmm. So tell me, uh, let's let's talk first about what you what you saw in your near death experience. I went to a playground at the age of three years old with family friends, you know, and I climbed up onto a ladder, going onto a slide, and at the time I had whipping cough, otherwise known as pertussis, which led to my own suffocation, and every part of my body just began to suffocate and was not able to function. And the last part that I was just aware of was my own brain. You know, you see when you're suffocating, it's kind of like being in a basement and shutting the power breakers off in your house and just one thing at a time was going. And, you know, without oxygen, unless you're on a ventilator or something, you know, and even that does not work properly as you've seen, um, you can't function without the ability to breathe. Sure. And so I was, I suffocated, but then I was able to feel and see my brain and I just saw and feel and felt it just snap in half. And it just felt like a plug was just yanked out of the wall. And I felt this incredible crack within my brain. And when, once my brain cracked open, you know, that's when, as a saying goes, God came in, but literally my brain had to crack in half for God to come in. Right. You know, so, wow. um, you know, I, went on to this beautiful tunnel experience, which is seen by a lot of end of years, but I ascended vibrationally at an infinite rate upwards to there was, there's, there was no possible ending to how high I was soaring or how good I was feeling. It was just endless euphoria, endless space. You know, there was no time, but it was an, a, a place of where I've been and we've all been to before, a place that I call home, a place where the dwelling of our soul, where we're connected to, even in this lifetime, if, if, if we remember it or not, we're always connected to, you know, home. But I was able to, you know, see and experience what we call the divine, or to me, that's a very religious, kind of a limiting word, but I say the centerpiece of creation where all things emanate from. You know, I was able to see my own what's called spirit guides, which before we are born in this body, we have a contract to, you know, these angels that are with us and they help guide our life and they help us in our decisions and our choices and give us nudges, but they are contracted to us. I was able to see an infinite ray of angels that was in front of me that was right over this reality. It's as if you take a little dial and you turn it up just a little bit and heaven is all around us. It's not, it's a place that in some sense felt like a million miles away, but it was also over here too. 
you know, and then just uh, so I, much can more. Can I, can I yeah. stop you right there? Yeah. Can you describe what the angels looked like? Absolutely. They're, Josh, they were literally right in front of me. You know, so what happened was when I had my NDE, I was on the ground after, you know, going on the slide and stuff like that. Sure. My body was on the ground, but my form was to the side of it. And I look up in the distance and these angels are all in front of me. Now, these angels were different than the spirit guides. The spirit guides were to the right side and left side of me and they had distinct characteristics and genders. Mm. Whereas the angels, the angels were uniformal in their presentation. They looked kind of like God's minions. They're all basically the same in their presentation, but they were very youthful, very youthful. And they were kind of like a bronze gold kind of color. And they were just floating right in front of me in this thin veil and they were everywhere. And what were they doing? They were just sending peace, sending love, sending healing to the whole you know, planet. And they're here all the time. They're not far away. They are so close to this reality. I can't begin to describe how thin of a veil we are with the angelic realm. It's like you just turn up a dial just a little bit and they're all around us. Wow. <laughs> it's so, amazing. Yeah. So you said that there were characteristics of the spirit guides. Did they look in like human form? In a way, but just uh, there's there's very little words to describe how beautiful they were. Hmm. They were kind of like human with angelic features to them. Um, and there was a male and female guide. And at the time of my NDE, I knew their exact names. And now I like kind of toss it around, but it's not that conviction that I had in my NDE. So there's like uh -huh. one or two things in my NDE that aren't as clear, clear as crystal right. as it was. I don't know why, you know, but at the moment I knew their exact names, who they were. I, I knew them to my core. And when I saw them, I was just in awe, you know, it's like yeah. I was looking up. It's almost like, you know, if you ever have like a crush on a celebrity or a crush on someone and all of a sudden like they're like into you too and you're like, what? Yeah. Or like a producer <laughs> that you like admire is into your work if you talk right. to them and you're like me? Like that's, right. it was just more, it wasn't intimidation. It was just incredible awe. Like you guys are invested in me like I was just like, I felt like the luckiest man in life, but also I'm like, why right. you guys are like up, I'm this, but you know what? That's not how they saw it. They see us through such a different lens. Like we judge ourselves that they love our, they love us. Wow. We judge us that they love us and they see the real you, wow. um, you know, the real you, which is beyond this construct that we develop in this life, which is very much often pathologized and far off from the truth. <laughs> right. Did, did you get a sense, and the reason I asked this is Bob Ginsburg mentioned, but I, I think it was a little more different. It was a different, like, people coming to usher you through the process uh, about family members. Did you get mm -hmm. a sense that these were, like, family members of yours? Uh, no. They... Okay. they I, that was something separate. I was able to have a reunion with my family on the other side 
or what I call my spirit family or soul family. I did have that. You know, the term is thrown out. I say we all are part of the soul family of, of humanity, but then there's a nuclear family, you know, yeah. that we oftentimes, it's kind of like a play. Like we have different roles and different acts that we have in this life, but it's like, you know, the same characters just in different roles over there oh, while we're over here, but we're over there. We, we see ourselves for the real us, which you know, that's what I'll say. But my my spirit guides, it's the closest thing to you that you could possibly imagine. It's so close to who you are. And just it's basically the highest version of yourself in its purest form is your spirit guides connected to you. Wow. You know, that's amazing. So they they usher you through this this tunnel. Is that right? The tunnel, which is not as common as you would think. Not every end of ear sees a tunnel. Not every near-death experiencer has a positive experience. Some near-death experiences are quite distressing. You know, my theory on that is people who have a distressing NDE do not fully cross over mm. to the other side. If you do cross over to the other side, there might be distress before you had that as I did, but there's no distress when you're in the light, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it takes time. It's not like you just go over there and are just instantly there. For me, when I went there, there was two things interplaying. I was still attached to some degree to just my three-year-old self. Sure. But then also I was able to see this through a clearer eyes, through the, through the eyes and windows of my own soul, which transcended myself at three years old. I we as souls experience ourselves in these bodies in this lifetimes, but we are not these ages, these bodies, these, we experience these things, but these are not the full totality of who we are. Yeah. Wow. So amazing. It just sounds like, you know, it's, and it's funny, some of the things you, I'm sure you've heard this before. If you've talked, we talked about this in other podcasts, but a lot of what you say very much uh, comports with my just religious beliefs, you know, of, mm -hmm. uh, of how this works. And so, so tell me more, like you, you had the reunion with family, mm -hmm. um, were these family members, I mean, you were three years old, so you couldn't have possibly known them in this life. Right. But, but you could sense that they were a soul family that you were connected kind of in a nuclear way. Very, very much connected. And the bond is incredibly deep. I'll, I'll mm -hmm. give you a story. I, I love the concept of soul family members. But like I say, I am the biggest skeptic. I needed like right here, proof in front of me, things to blow up for me to believe in anything. That's just, mm -hmm. you know, my human nature. Sure. But I was having an aunt that was about to transcend and cross over to either side. And like many people who are having um, these experiences, she was having something called lucid visions in a way, mm -hmm. which... You know, when people are about to cross over, they like cr they connect with their loved ones on the other side. They know kind of what's happening. They're kind of like not here, but not there fully. They're in between and they vacillate between both realms. But the last message that one of my family members gave me was she said, if you look at a picture of a family, you know, each individual looks different in that family. But if you look at the eyes and really see the energy there's something connecting each member to each other in a very deep level 
that goes beyond this lifetime. And I was like, all right, that's pretty cool, whatever. And then a year later, I'm getting a, I was getting a reading and then she stepped forward and was in spirit communication. And my aunt said, the medium through my aunt, the medium through my aunt, the, my aunt through the medium said pictures, pictures. And she, the medium looked at me, she goes, why does your aunt keep on telling me the word pictures? And I knew that was validation of her message of mm-hmm. soul family and just mm-hmm. kind of giving me proof of how we are also connected in this life and beyond to our soul family. And we will reunite with them. We will meet them, but we don't have to wait until we die to have that. We could have that in this life too. We could still connect with our loved ones. Wow. Now, um, tell me, so you have the connection with loved ones. Did you have an opportunity to connect or see, you you mentioned the center of creation or deity. Uh, Tell me what that experience was like and what did it look like? Well, imagine the biggest high that you've gotten in this lifetime, the most euphoric sensation possible. Now, amplify that by a billion times mm. a billion times a billion, you know, like infinite. That was what it was like, you know, when I was able to see the centerpiece of creation or God, as we call it. To me, God infinite, infinite love, infinite joy, infinite beauty, infinite euphoria. There's no limitations to, to, to God. And God will come and present itself in different ways. To me, I was able to see God through mostly feeling, but also presented through an incredible golden palace that was being shown in the right side of my head right side of my brain and this golden palace was emanating all things that just were just where where all of life itself flowed from so imagine an apex of reality in this reality that we're living in and we're just kind of capped here to me divine is there's no end there's no apex to it it's just the centerpiece of all of life itself and you recognize that everything comes from that place flows through that place is created from that place and it's just the centerpiece of creation and life itself is the closest way i could describe it but it's infinite unconditional love and euphoria when you are in the presence of the divine wow did you have any communication with that uh, deity or was it just being in the presence it was more just blown away in and all it was just too powerful of a light almost for me to just it was just so profound i was just in awe you know it's just but you know i was able to have an understanding of letting go of fear you know in Mm -hmm. that you know in my nde i was able to because a part of me was still connected and attached to my three-year-old self. I'm like, well, what would that life look like? What would I look like? You know, what, mm-hmm. you know, what's the rest of the story? And it just felt like something that was closing on too early and thinking that there was still some stuff to write, some stuff to do. Like, what is this life about? You know, sure. and what will my parents think? All that stuff. And then I was, you know, comforted by this notion that, there is no time. 
there's no past, present, or future. But understanding, to best describe it today, that all is well, was well, will be well. And sometimes we hold on to fear, thinking that's real. But in the end, it's all beauty, it's all love, and it's endless eternity. I found, going back a little bit, (coughs) I found one thing that you that you said earlier, you mentioned something about you were kind of like you were grateful for the trauma. And I've never mm-hmm. heard that before. Right. We don't think That's of trauma and gratitude. Right. Um, right. But, but anything in life, you know, I love the Zig Ziglar statement that says, you know, our attitude, not aptitude will define our altitude. And I think if you're able to see things through gratitude an attitude of gratitude, it changes your life. You know, you bless things, not just the good things, but you also embrace the things that are difficult. Uh, certainly growing up, having that NDE was very difficult, you know, for many different ways. But the reason why I'm able to remember it was trauma. You know, trauma, mm-hmm. when you think of trauma, right, you could have a dissociation to it. You could push it away to protect yourself or you have clear-cut recollection of every moment of it you know so like i always give this example on september 11th when you know you and i were alive then Mm -hmm. we we remember what we were doing at that time we remember what we were doing maybe a day or two after but if i ask you what we were doing september 25th 2001 you're not gonna probably know unless you're at a met game or whatever i don't know you know so trauma's funny like that where my nde like it was so traumatic that i remembered everything now, what happened a couple months later, I couldn't tell you, but trauma sure. has a gift of recollection. And when that thing has positivity to it, it could be a good thing, but it was certainly a double-edged sword, you know, the near-death experience, you know. Sure. Well, the thing about trauma that's so interesting is I find traumatic events, things that happen to you that are bad, mm-hmm. you know, I've never, and it's easy, it's harder to say this when you're in the middle of it, right? But mm-hmm. I can look back on everything traumatic or negative that's happened, a failure, if you will, and look back five, ten years later and go, man, I don't know if I'd say I'm glad it happened, but it needed to happen. You know what I mean? Like that was exactly what I needed to get me to my next spot. Right. And uh, and so but it's interesting how you mentioned. I, I think I understand what you're saying. You're saying, well, thankfully for the trauma that occurred right before I was in a spot to be able to recall everything because of the trauma, similar yeah. to 2000, similar to September 11th, where we know exactly. Right. In an extreme. But, you know, I love the Picasso quote that the meaning of life is to find your gift and the purpose of it is to give it away. And so I was able to remember like my gift, you know, the gift of the NDE through trauma. And I understood yeah. the purpose of it was just to not hold on to it, but to give it to others you know, for them to need it through my books, through my lectures. Uh, But without that trauma, I don't know if I'd be able to get that gift over. And we use terms, NDEs, out-of-body experiences, whatever it is, or even trauma itself. But to me, they're they're similar in a sense that they allow a possibility of you to transform your life. You know, because the current foundation you're standing on, you'd be on autopilot and just not truly living and all of a sudden you have the shake-up period and it forces you to dig deeper to change some stuff you know could open up doorways of compassion empathy 
you know, resilience. Uh, and so short term, you know, trauma could be very difficult, but long term, if it's processed well and it's integrated well, you know, it could be beautiful and transformative as well, too. Yeah, no, that, that's that's awesome. And so tell me, as you grew up, you mentioned the, the um, well, the, before we go on, uh, anything else of significance in your near-death experience that you want to share? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot. I mean, I had past life memories of not only this life, but other other lifetimes that I speak about in Life After Breath. And one of those memories was the last lifetime that I lived in which I'm not going to say commit suicide because you don't commit a heart attack or cancer right. and I don't criminalize mental health. Sure. Um, I don't believe in that. I don't treat it any differently than physical health. It's, it's succumbed to you know, a, a condition in your life. And mm. not all suicide is related to, you know, mental health. Some could be trauma, some could be other, you know, physical stuff. So, um, you know, it's to me, I, when I chose that path, I recognized how I was cornered and there was no hope. There was no way out from my own pain in that last lifetime. And I just remembered I wasn't judged. I was accepted, but I understood that this lifetime was very much karmic, you know, for that mm -hmm. last lifetime in a sense that I had my NDE and I saw the NDE was kind of similar in a way to, you know, when I took my life where I just, prior to my crossing over experience, I was stuck, I was cornered, there was no hope. And once I was able to just let go of that pain and just surrender to a greater source, a greater power that was always inside of me and around me, was when I was able to transform, you know, that trauma into, you know, heaven, into into the most beautiful experience you could have. And I think for people who go through, you know, ideation, attempts, plans, whatever it is, if you're able to understand the power of getting help, the power of looking inward, the power of utilizing your outer and inner resources, you could be amazed by how much that could change a very dark night of your soul. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. That's amazing. Um, so you were able to see past lives that you lived. Were you able to see actually who you were or were you just feeling the feelings that you had felt in a past life? You know, so my NDE is very different than a lot of other NDEs because you don't hear too many near-death experiences. You do hear them, but not as often. Mm -hmm. They'll talk about the life review, which I had, which is a review of this lifetime, but through not only your lens, but other people's lens and the beautiful impact that it had or some of the, you know, difficulty that it may have contributed. And it's you know, not all one way or another. It's just kind of seeing things as they are. Uh, but that transcended this lifetime and went into, you know, my own past lives. But I, the way that I could describe it, Josh, is I saw myself traveling around the globe. Like I was just flying around the globe, going from country to country, civilization, civilization, era to era, experiencing a lot of different lifetimes. And uh, the most recent last lifetime is something that sticks most closely. You know, as a kid, I would just kind of wake up in nightmares about that last lifetime and would see it randomly just pop into my head. 
and like, what is this? You know, and I know I had it in my NDA, I knew what it was, but just kind of like a nuisance. And then, you know, one day in my later teens, early 20s, you know, I went to an intuitive and she described exactly what I saw in that last lifetime before me ever writing a book, ever getting public. And it was just evidential pieces of information that I needed to hear that this was real, that this was valid. This person didn't know me. I was a complete stranger. Um, I was just a kid going to college. No, you know, no one knew me outside of family and friends, you know, was, and the fact that she tapped into what exactly I saw was just, and she, other things was just, it wasn't just that one thing. So, I mean, you're a lawyer, I'm sure you'd appreciate this, but I look at the afterlife, like building a case of eternity. Like you want yeah. different pieces of evidence to, to get you to have not a belief, not a faith, but a knowing that there is an eternity and there is life more than just this reality. But you need those pieces of evidence to really build your case. Right. Well, and that's what I thought was, I think is so interesting about a near-death experience. What I find kind of fascinating about those is people who have them, it, could, it can completely change mm. the way you look at life. People mm. don't no longer have fear of death, which, and they seem to have a greater understanding of what we're really doing here, like the meaning of life. And it's interesting right. because you had yours at such an early age mm -hmm. that it, it's probably informed your entire life. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, you know, life is so much about the foundation that you come from. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, if you look at, you know, people who have been spiritual influencers and teachers and beacons of of light, you know, they might have had terrible lives, great lives, whatever it is. But no matter what, they came from a foundation and that defined their lives. No matter what they went through or experienced or were thrown into, they always got back to the strong foundation that transcended anything that was thrown their way. Mm -hmm. And I think that transcends time, you know, no matter what right. you go through, no matter how tumultuous it is, mm -hmm. because indeed what is inside of you is infinitely greater than in front of you. By that, I mean, we are eternal. Eternity triumphs these finite moments. And we have to remember that, you know, what we experience here is just an experience. It is temporary, but we are eternal. And if you're able to have a macro viewpoint and apply that to micro situations, mm -hmm. you could have a lot of transformation. But don't get me wrong. I'm, a, I'm sometimes just as human as the next. And I sure. get stressed about the bills and living in Long Island and, you know, you know, working every day and just figuring out how I'm going to make it in this life. And, you know, am I going to be able to support myself? You know, all the basic fears of having my basic needs met. But, you know, I, I think when you live a spiritual life, you just tap into something different. You don't get as caught up in the drama or the day-to-day -day stuff. You get more immersed in meaning and purpose and beauty and, uh, you know, you're more selective with where you place your energy. I, I call it the artist of the mind. You know, people yeah. who are have a spiritual practice, they just carve and shape their mind and the way that they see reality every single day to be a more perfect vision of life yeah. itself. You know? Wow. That's, like I said, that's beautiful. Did, you wrote, you've written two books. One, you wrote Life After Breath, which is your first book, and then mm -hmm. The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder, which is your second. Right. 
Um, and tell us uh, what the differences are between the two books. Well, in spiritual practice, you know, there's a concept called karma, which I mentioned, which is kind of like your story. Um, mm -hmm. And there's another you know, understanding called dharma, which is your meaning, your purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think both are part of my dharma. Both are my purpose in this life is, is to give this information over to others. It wasn't about me so much as it is about other people. Life after breath is more of my story, like what happened in my NDE, what I experienced and what life was like after that at mm -hmm. such a young age, you know? And so, um, and then the wisdom of Jacob's ladder is more of a teaching book. It's more of a guidebook. It's more of, you know, Hey, I've been to heaven. I've been to the other side. Here's what you need to know. So you don't have to die to get to heaven or wait to get to heaven, but you could remember who you are in this moment. And you could more importantly, not just know it, but there's ways to integrate, you know, that mindset in this lifetime, you know, and that mm. makes, you know, this reality so much beautiful that the afterlife doesn't have to be after this life, you yeah. know, that thing that we're waiting for, who's to say it can't be right here, right now, if we are open in our minds and our hearts to a new reality at hand. So, yeah, that's something I wanted to ask you about. So you have this NDE. Tell me growing up with this information how do you think uh it informed your adolescence and you know your teenage years through college well it was rough i mean you know i know you have black sheeps and family but i was beyond that i mm. you know i had four or five siblings we all had the same food the same house everything but i was by far the biggest outlier in my family hands down <laughs> And so you yeah. just have to wonder why, you know, and, uh, you know, obviously there's always that one outlier, but this was by a by landslide. Um, I think it made it difficult to be a kid mm. because imagine, you know, you're just kind of on this conveyor belt and you're seeing this reality and all of a sudden you're taken off of it and you're just kind of recognized, you know, just how this is not real. This is not reality. This mm -hmm. is the human reality, but this isn't the ultimate reality. And then imagine you have to accept yourself that you're a three-year-old. When you saw yourself as, under, understand that I'm not three years old. I'm an infinite soul. Yeah. And so all these things I had to eventually have radical acceptance to. It doesn't mean that I agree with it. It doesn't mean that it was truth. But in this reality, I had to live by the rules and the way that they saw the game. Otherwise... I would never make it. And mm. that influenced in many ways my job as a therapist, you know, because I find if people ask me, what's the most um, skillful attribute that helps people to succeed in therapy or in life? And I would say flexibility and adaptability. Yeah. You know, I find yeah. when people you know, just hold on to the way that they think life should be versus the way life is, you know, that's kind of an insidious kind of way to think that, you know, life is not the way that you always see it. Sometimes life in front of us is different than we want it to be, but that is what it is. And so what do we do with that? Do we, we rebel against that? Do we rage against that? Do we fight that? You, you can do all those things, but some things you cannot change, you know, you individually. 
but those you could change through those things or going through that struggle and finding for me once i was able to have some breathing room no pun intended and some liberty life became more of mine versus just feeling like i was on a cog in this wheel you know yeah yeah no i think what you said right there is is right on i think a lot of the struggle that people have i know it's something that i've struggled with you know i'm i'm a member of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints mormons as people as people call them and um you know, the Mormon checklist is what I sometimes call it, is that the beauty of our church is that they really have your life kind of, there's like a checklist of things that if you do these things, it really helps you focus on really important things at really important ages. You know, you plan on going on a mission for the church when you're 18 or 19. So the next, the first few years or, you know, your, your teenage years are kind of building you for that, at least for the men. And then you come home and you get married and you have kids and you do all these things and you get your educational goals and you go to church and you serve and do all these things. And, and then when you get to the end of that checklist, you expect your life to look a certain way. Right. And, and then when it doesn't, something, mm. something out of control happens, uh, it, 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 it throws you for a loop and then you can get caught up. I know I did, you know, I've gotten caught up in it where I go, this is not what I was told would happen. This is not, mm. this wasn't part of the, the plan. Right. But, yeah. but, it's, yeah. but, but what's so funny is, is uh, I had, I heard my next door neighbor always jokes. He says, you really want to make God laugh. Tell him what you think is going to happen. Right. And he's like, and, uh, you know, so that adaptability and being able to accept, well, my life may not look how I want it to, but here is where it is. Sometimes I think if you do that, you'll find your life actually looks a lot better than you could have expected. You know? Oh, undeniably so, you know, and you refer to that in many ways as a, as a midlife crisis where you mm. are able to, you do everything that you were supposed to do. And you still feel very unhappy, unsatisfied, unsettled. And because um, you just recognize that you don't need to be or do any of those things to find happiness. That happiness doesn't lie outside of you. It lies within you. And the happier you are, the more that you could appreciate those external things. If you don't have the foundation from the inside, you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to embrace and accept the outside. And a lot of people are looking for external checklists and all those things to have oh, an yeah. inner fulfillment. And it, it doesn't work that way. Our nature at our core is joy, is happiness, is a state of, of love. But then somewhere down the road, we've taught, hey, get that car. You'll feel a little bit better. Get that grade. You'll, you'll be a little bit better. Lose those pounds. You'll look a little bit hotter on that beach, you know, so yeah. all those things that we need to do in order to be, and we already have all that we're looking for, you know, and Michelangelo said, we are just all masterpiece. And all we have to do is chip, chip away at the masterpiece within. Yeah. Um, that's not what we're taught. We're taught, Hey, you're nothing from day one and you have to become something, Yeah. you know, and you know, nothing and let's regurgitate versus imagine. Yeah. You know, it's funny you bring that up because, and, and it's funny, you probably would appreciate this as a, uh, as a therapist. My, my family, 
uh, did not look like the cookie cutter Mormon family either. And, and that kind of bothered me when I was, uh, when I was young, when I was in my teenage years and my parents, my dad, I've been very open about this. My dad is a, is a recovering drug addict has been recovered for over 25 years and he's a great mm -hmm. person and it's his, his transfer. He'll one day I'll have him on here and he'll share his story. It's pretty mm -hmm. awesome. But, um, he, uh, uh, my parents always fought over drugs and money. And that's what they were. It seemed like that was 95% of the fights. The other 5% was me messing up. So, but, but in the, in those fights, I remember thinking as a kid, I remember thinking, Hey, you know what, as long as I don't do drugs and I have all the money, things will be fine. And mm -hmm. so I remember as I was coming up as a lawyer, you know, I'd get, I'd get paid fairly well and I'd be like, okay, as long as I get pay my student loans off, I'll be happy. And then when that didn't, that didn't make me happy. We'll get the bigger house. Then it was the car. Building the movie theater. Then it was buy the pinball machine. And, and then I realized every one of these things, they were cool for like a month. Mm -hmm. And then it was just another toy and it was on to the next thing. Yeah. And, it, and it wasn't until I realized, wait a minute, that isn't what I want. It's, it's having experiences with the people I love that I want. You know what I mean? And now, like, I, I took, you know, the, we're, I'm in Sacramento. See, the Sacramento, Sacramento Kings is in my blood painfully. Oh, you man, know? we could talk ball all day. Vladi <laughs> Divac, C-Web, Bobby oh. Christie, um, oh. I had Apasia, you know, Bobby Jackson. Rick oh, Adelman, yeah. I know them oh, all. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you what. Since that era, it has been painful to be a Kings fan, and uh, but this I was this able... year was your big. It was a big year, though. It was a big step forward for the team. It was. And, I I was able to yeah. take both of my boys to the playoffs, and wow, wow. to see them get so excited about something that I love that my dad right. made me love. Mm -hmm. That was, I couldn't. Uh, it was worth like I could have sold those tickets for right. ten times what I paid for them. Right, it was priceless, and uh, and those you know those are the experiences the the being being there with the people you love, you know that's what oh right was. right and it's sometimes we buy into cultural myths and we're just you know brainwashed and programmed all these things we recognize it didn't work then, not going to work now. And let's try a, a different path. But what you described is the most spiritual thing that any human being can do, which let's look at a word that you just described for the Sacramento Kings and your love for them. And that word is enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. And when you break down the word enthusiasm, it comes from the Greek word entheos, which means the, the God within. Mm -hmm. And so when you're happy, when you're in a state of joy, when you're passionate about something, you're connecting to the divine. You're connecting to your nature. God is in passion and love, you know, and you know, and just seeing the beauty of those things. So, a lot of people will say, "Okay, let me burn incense. Let me burn sage. Let me have crystals, and I'll be spiritual." Well, those are tools, but or read the tarot, whatever it is. But to me, spirituality comes exactly what you personified, which is in the meaning of our relationships, the ability to be present those that we love and the things that we do that awaken our passions and yeah. uh you know just put a smile on every part of our body you know yeah yeah, yeah. so you're, you're a therapist did did you do you feel like your um experience with your nde informed your decision to become a therapist 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, for me, being a therapist was very much related to it because it reminded me of the resilience of the spirit that not even death itself could, could stop me. And so when people are feeling very stuck, you know, my goal is to kind of find ways for people to break through. And some situations are terminal and finding ways to relate to those with meaning and a sense of purpose as well, too. Um, you know, but it was just kind of in a way to give back what I had in my NDE. And so there's, mm -hmm. there's two types of people and some people vacillate between the two. But when it comes to the spiritual world or the religious world, people will search and toil for God and try to find God as much as I can. And there's some people who are like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to be God. I'm going to embody God. And that way I will know God. And to me, the closest way of embodying and knowing God is just to be of service, to be of life, to give life when there is none and maybe someone else. And you don't need to be a therapist to do that. You know, some therapists make things worse, you know, so yeah. it doesn't matter what degree you have, but if you're uplifting someone's day, if you, you know, smile, if you're checking in on someone, if you are there for someone, um, you're giving life to that person in, in the dark time and you're allowing them, you know, to persevere on this marathon of life. Yeah, man, you, are you sure you're not Mormon? <laughs> there's a lot, huh? there's a lot of stuff in our, in our, our church is very, is very service oriented and and, I, and it's true. You know, it's funny when we go and do, there are times where we go and do service stuff. A lot of it is moving people or, or helping people in their yard. And I, and I tell my son who's 16, uh, more when he was younger than now, uh, you know, he'd kind of grumble about going and having to do something like that. And I'd be like, Hey, you know, you feel, you don't feel great about it now, but when you've done it, you'll feel great. You'll feel pretty right. good. And, Right. And I've never came away from a service opportunity not feeling better, you know. Right. Well, we have to be long-term vision, version, you know. And I look at mental health is the same way. For instance, short-term, when you have anxiety and depression, that leads to a lot of avoidance. And in the moment, it feels good to avoid those things, right? You just put mm -hmm. yourself away from it. You just chill on your couch, and it's like, ah, I feel good. I didn't approach those difficult things. But long-term... Anxiety and depression increases through avoidance. So when we challenge ourselves to kind of do things that are a little bit difficult, short term, there's some turbulence, but long term, there's beauty, there's growth, there's expansion. And so I think we have to kind of be long focused in our pursuits. We have to understand the cause and effect of our action, you know, and where is that leading to? What's the bigger picture at the end of the day through our actions and our foundation? Where is it leading to? What is it based in? Is it based in fear? Is it based in expanded love? You know, fear is very contracted and love is eternally expansive. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So what do you, when you're dealing with uh, uh, someone who has depression or anxiety, mm. um, how do you draw that out of them? I mean, as far as the love versus the fear. Well, again, you know, a, a lot of these things, I don't look at anything differently than physical health. You know, sometimes when you're depressed or anxious, it goes just beyond willpower, you know, it goes beyond just do it. You know, it's, it's, it's something within the brain and there's a lot of different neurobiochemical, you know, imbalances that may contribute to that. Um, 
it's easier when it's environmental or or, or it's situ, you know situations in one's life that is contributing you know to depressed or anxious states but when it's you know a long period or a disorder something that could to me a disorder is a set of you know behaviors or conditions that really will dominate your life i think the important thing is to learn self compassion you know because there's a lot of times when we're feeling certain ways we won't accept ourselves and that will define ourselves but i think also for people to have a sense of self beyond just depression and anxiety i think people sometimes when they have that diagnosis that's all they see in themselves and that is a part of you you know but there is more to you you know than pathology and i think mm. having people to allow themselves a fine balance of you know yes having structure exposure doing some of the healthy activities but also being able to accept themselves where they at where they are at unconditionally i think mental health in many ways does not translate when we cross over when we cross mm. over you know it dissipates but i think people have different themes in their life for different reasons from a broader picture and for a lot of people a lot of it has to do with learning how to accept yourself unconditionally mm. through even the most difficult conditions and mm. at the end of the day this world is kind of like a weight room for the soul you know mm. it doesn't necessarily need it but it expresses itself and it and it, it becomes hopefully a grander expression of who you are throughout every lifetime by remembering you know the depths inside of you but depression and anxiety could lead to a lot of beauty you know you could have more compassion empathy understanding you know through your own journey for another and i look at this life as a training ground to be a spirit guide and so for us to kind of understand something sometimes we need to go through it so that we could help out the next person and yeah but i think for people going through depression anxiety the best thing i could i could recommend is is to help out someone who who may be uh you know going through more difficulty than you you know yeah. someone who's maybe marginalized or struggling and you recognizing that wow i have a lot more in me than just my depression anxiety and i have a purpose and i could give over something great to someone else even if i'm hurting yeah that is that is very true you know i found in the flood times when i'm in in a bad way going and helping someone else can really help uh pull you out of that and so right. so uh, based on your experience um you know, we're eternal. Uh, and, you know, we, this is kind of our weight room proving ground, but you said not that we necessarily need it. Why do you think, and this is a broad question, I'm sure, but why do you think God or the deity that put us here, put us here? It's hard to say. I think there's micro reasons for each soul itself, but I think a lot of us chose to come here too. Mm. I think sometimes we crave opposites and we crave something different you know than that. I think we crave a place of forgetfulness and then remembering and then coming back to the all-knowing. I think in a way it gives our soul variety. You know imagine just kind of being in one place you know the whole time. This kind of gives us different experiences and and beautiful experiences and think of eternity that has no beginning no middle no end and so mm -hmm. when you have that you could have variety 
you know, yeah. you can have finite experiences in the ultimate infinite reality, but our soul, you know, it doesn't necessarily need anything, but could have a drive, you know, to just be a part of life and experience beauty in this finite life and forget it, remember it, forget it, remember it. And it's all a part of the cycle. And, you know, everyone is at a different stop of their, of their wheel this life and a different stop of their journey, but it, it's all never ending. And it, that's a beautiful, endless carousel that we're all a part of. And um, this life could really be heaven on earth though. You know, have you noticed that some experiences here, when you just sit back and look at it, just are timeless or beyond beautiful in its nature. And we would never have that if we were never given this gift of life being here. You know, we would have yeah. something different over there, but we have these just unique experiences where you have these droplets of heaven here. And Sometimes we like the polarity. We like sometimes being in the dark to find the light too, not just yeah. being the light and seeing the light and remembering more importantly that we are the light, you know? Yeah. Too. It's, it's in, yeah. I, I remember an experience. It was so cool for me. My kids are all very, very artsy. Um, mm. And uh, my, my son and my daughter did a play. My youngest son and daughter did a play and they were in the lion King. Wow. And my, and my oldest my, not my oldest, my youngest daughter, she got to play Pumbaa in The Lion King, and my son got to play young Simba. But my daughter, especially, she wants so badly to be, she wants a, she wants to be an actor. I mean, she mm. just she and she has a flair for the dramatic, so it's perfect. And uh, but watching how happy she was, I went to every performance, and mm. watching how happy she was playing that, it was such it was so such a joy to watch her, All right. to watch her do something she loves and it, you're right it's one of those things where you sit there uh there was another experience i had where i was able to take my boys to chicago and i took them to wrigley field and uh and we we sat there and i remember sitting there with my two boys watching a baseball game uh, at wrigley field and saying uh if i were to die right now I'm, I'd, I'd, I'd be I'm, okay. I'm, I'm good with that. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and so... It's those moments. Um, yeah. yeah. You ever think... It's, this is just a complete offhand. You ever think, like, what if this is just, like, something like Total Recall? You know, the movie where, like, we're in some simulation, and then we come back. I mean, do you ever wonder about that? Like, this is just some simulation, like, where our soul is just like, you know what, let's go play that game for about 80 years, you know? That's, that's the kind of... That, that's, <laughs> kind of the way it is you know we're just you know they say you know that's life is but a dream i mean to me this this is the dream and then you wake up from it one day and you're over there in heaven you know yeah this is to me this is the dream but you know these experiences that we have that you just mentioned all that are things that we take with us when we leave our bodies you know they're a part of our heaven the the passions that we have the beauty that we experience uh, those moments are all things that we take with us when we leave this world and the pain dissipates, the agony goes, but the beauty and the relationships, all those, you know, really expand on our afterlife in a way and things that we take with us and they become a part of the bedrock of our soul and another chapter of our journey. Yeah. And that's, that's a beautiful thing how we could continuously add and be a bigger expression you know, of the divine spark within. Yeah, man. So 
Um, you've written two books. Um, what What's next? I don't know. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I know what happens at the end, but I don't know the next turn. And, you know, yeah. that's okay. I'm just going for the ride and being in the moment. And it doesn't come from me what I'm going to do next. I write books, but they don't come from me. They come through me. Mm -hmm. And when I sit down and I just ask, you know, how could I help out someone? How could I be a service? What information, you know, could help people? It will come to me, you know. I, For me, I my goal is to write as many meaningful books that need to be heard, you know, that aren't of redundancy, but are of help to others. Um, the difficult part of publishing a book is just the cutthroat nature of it and how uh, dense of a field is it, it is and just how you're trying to write this book and then it reaches like X amount of people, then you have all this passion and you don't always, you don't always get back in front of you what you put out, but you, you never know the impact at the end of the day and you never know like what you do and how that impacts others. But I guess my goal, if you're asking me, would just to be, you know, not for monetary reasons, although, hey, we're living in a material world, as Madonna would say. But for me, it's more of just getting the message out to as many people as I can and to really living in congruency with helping people and, and finding different platforms to reach those people and, and broader platforms to reach as many souls as I can. Uh, I owe it to others, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, heard a, I heard a quote one time. I really love it. And it says, Society grows great when uh, old men plant trees, the shade of which they will never sit in. And, yeah. uh, you know, you never uh, know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, you, you bring up, a, there's another story that was, that I'll share that I thought was really interesting. I've shared this in religious circles. Um, you know, I, I remember one time, uh, I don't know why this popped in my head, but, I remember one time it was, it was like Thanksgiving, I think Thanksgiving day. And I had my, my two oldest were really little. I played basketball in the morning with some friends. I was going to try to go somewhere. And my mom, I think called me and said, Hey, can you stop by the store and get this thing? We've, we ran out of this or whatever. And so I, I was at like Rite Aid or something. And I ran into, I didn't run into him, but I saw out of the corner of my eye, an old friend that I hadn't mm. seen in a long time. And mm. I, in my head, it told me, you should go, you should go talk to that person. Mm. But in my head, I was like, I don't have time. These mm. kids are crazy. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, all the, all the things came up to you to yeah, get in the way of that. Yeah. 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 And so I go, you know what? It's fine. I'll just go. And I left. And uh, so that was on Thursday. And then the next Sunday, I was in a, a meeting with the kind of the leadership of of our, our local congregation. Hmm. And someone was like, hey, by the way, uh, you're not going to believe who I saw Friday. Hmm. And it was like, who? And it was the same guy. And and she she was like, yeah, I ran into him. I said, hey, how you doing? Hmm. You know, what are you up to? And he said, you know, I've been thinking about coming back to church. And mm. he's like, and I, I, when I heard that story, I was like, that was not a coincidence. You know mm. what I mean? And so it's interesting how our lives, you mentioned reaching people. 
sometimes I think personally that God, deity, higher power, whatever you want to call it, gives us these intuitions to do little things that we tend to ignore that could have that ripple effect you're talking about. I don't Absolutely. know. I don't know if I went God, to talk to him. Yeah, God could use us as messengers. Absolutely. You know, we think of angels and not just over there, but they could be in human form. And when you come from a place of service where it's not just about you, but you're thinking of the other, you know, we could have an incredible life, incredible impact that could change one's trajectory. You know, um, I remember there was similar to that, but not, I didn't act on it, you know, and it still doesn't haunt me to this day. I let go of it. I can't change the past. Guilt is the most useless energy you could have because there's nothing you could do about it. You can't sure. go back in time. But I had, I was running a meditation circle and I had a book out, a meditation, and this client came up to me and they're like, what's the name of that book? I want to buy it. I go, all right, well, next week I'll let you know. Um, then a couple of days later, unfortunately, you know, the worst happened and mm. It, I was in a rush. I had things to do. You know, I didn't think of that. And to this day, like, I always try to be present with people and seeing, like, just be in the moment. And would that book have changed anything? I don't know. But but at least for me, it's just about being present with that person because you just never know the next time you'll see someone. So I think it's understanding, yeah, all these little things come and go, but you feel that calling. That's an eternal moment, you know, everything else could, could work itself out. Just be mindful and present and amazing yeah. things could happen. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the thing you, you never know. Uh, th this is another thing that I think is really interesting. I, you know, I've done a lot of podcasts now. You're, I, I think when this one comes out, this will be like 42 or 45. Wow. So I've wow. done quite wow. a few now, but I remember hearing a guy, um, I interviewed someone by the name of Sonny Smith, who is is uh, transgendered, has gender dysphoria, has struggled with it his whole life. And I call him a, a he because he's he's transitioned back into being a male. He tried to live as a female and it didn't he didn't feel like that was what God wanted him to do. Um, but I remember hearing his story and thinking to myself afterwards, because I had taught this young man in like Sunday schools and stuff. When he was young, you know, 12, 13, 14. Mm. And uh, I remember thinking to myself about some of those lessons. And I was like, I probably would have taught that a little differently if I had known that he was struggling. And mm. and then I remember thinking to myself, why do I need to know that somebody else is struggling to change the way I, I teach things? Because I think that those little things like giving those, that little encouraging word, being that person who goes and does some service, you, you don't know what that person is dealing with. No. And, no. and that could be the thing that keeps them going. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know absolutely. And <laughs> not to go down that hole, but we just never know what the person is going through. And I see today, there's just so much judgment and so little empathy mm -hmm. and people who, are going through questioning or are transitioning are the most susceptible, you know, to self-harm and suicide in those moments. And we're going to just pour salt, more salt on that and not, you know, be with them and just be compassionate to them and allow them, you know, in their own way to be supported and to figure things out. So, yeah, I think empathy needs to rule these days because I think we are just bullying people to a pulp and 
it, it didn't work then. It's not going to work now. I think we need to just stop talking and listen more. I think you have oh, yeah. one mouth and two ears for a list for a reason. And yeah. people have these big mouths and they don't listen and they don't, they're not present with another's pain or story. And they don't know how to, it's, yeah. it's a lot of dysfunction and disorder um, that we're seeing, but no, you're right. Compassion needs to be there. You just never know what someone's going through. Well, and that's part of the reason why I even started this podcast. You know, I, I have a very eclectic group of friends between, you know, I've done pro wrestling. I played basketball. I, I'm a, I'm a member of the church. I really like hard rock music. I'm an attorney. You know, I have all these different groups of friends mm -hmm. that kind of like without me would have never met. Um, mm -hmm. And, and not some of them haven't. And the beauty of this podcast is I hope that people listen to all the various people who've had various experiences and realize that everyone is just trying to do their best in a very real human experience. Right. It's, it's and, funny because, uh, yeah, we're like living in a parallel universe with that same energy, that same intent mm -hmm. is just flipped in another way. And then everyone's just blinding themselves from that. Yeah. And I think what you need to do is to, you may not, I don't believe in necessary debate, you know, not everyone needs to do that, but find like common things. And at the end of the day, you'll find like, geez, like, I can't fit in my pants this week. I can't pay the bills this week or can't put my food <laughs> yeah. on the table. I like sports. I like this. I like that. And you're fine. There's a lot more common denominators that we have, you know, than yeah. before. So that's what I like. What you're doing is just something for everyone, but find the common denominators because I can't go back in time, but geez, do I miss the nineties and the early two thousands in a way where yeah. just like you were just a dude and we would just relate to each other on that level. You couldn't, you wouldn't like say there's a checklist that needs to be made for me to like this person. It's just like, right. I like this person's got good energy. I like their personality. That's it. Yeah. Now it's yeah, and we never, very, we, we never split. asked them if they were like a Republican or a Democrat, whatever. Or yeah. Religious or if they were down with the LGBT group, we just were like, you know what? I like, uh, I like blink 182. I like blink 182, you know, and, and then you just, it was a lot more free. It was a lot more free spirited then. And it's just, disheartening to see um yeah no you just you just at least for me i majority of my friends think totally different than myself but you know what i gravitate to their personality when we just align with common things and that's and that's it and there's very little of that though <laughs> that does not happen yeah. it's, was, it's sad that was the that was a i did a tour when I was doing wrestling I did a tour with impact wrestling up in Washington. And I remember being backstage and looking at all the people that were coming through. And I was, I was in law school at the time. And I remember seeing some of those people and hearing them talk. And I told the buddy I was with, I was like, this is so cool because there is no other place where I would have ever had anything in common or had any reason to talk to any of these people. But because all right. we all, have a love for this weird pro wrestling thing. Right. That we brings us can, together. Yeah. We all come together and have a great time where we would meet no other place. And I wish there were more places for that. Oh, yeah. And I think even the country that we're living in, like none of us, like we're experiencing ourselves as an American, but what is an American? We're all in a way strangers to this land from someone else, unless you're a native, you know? Right. And I think unifying the fact that we are here, but understanding that our strength is in the diversity that we have and how we all come from different nations of our family cultures. And we're just here 
as guests for one reason or not, and that should unify us. Um, yeah. I don't know, because to me, like the definition of an American is like, I don't know, it's not representative of the actual truth. So I think to me, American is within diversity, is within just different backgrounds and all coming together. And being in New York, we have that the most. We're the biggest melting pot. But I think it's 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 everyone from every different part of the world here together. It's the United Nations. Yeah. But that's the way yeah, I see it. But you don't understand. <laughs> they are trying to destroy us, Jacob Cooper. <laughs> they, whoever they are. I love New York. I, I went there uh, when I was looking at law schools. I spent some time there. And, you know, there's kind of this being on the West Coast. There was always this kind of thing of, you know, oh, you know, yeah, you don't want to walk down the street. People are going to be tough or whatever. And East Coast, man, the two, Tupac and Biggie uh, war, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is I went there and I could people, no one, no one was nicer to me than than people in New York. You know, you walk in, and, you know, I was wearing a Notre Dame sweaters and they're just like, oh, Notre Dame having a great year. Like people just randomly would talk to me. Right. And it's so different here in Sacramento. Nobody talks to each other just randomly. It's interesting because when I go to like out west or whatever, I have like I have like wow, everyone's here so nice. And when I'm in New York, I, so like when we're in a new place, we we'll, we may be open to new things and like see things yeah. through a different lens. But it's nice to find humanity wherever we go and to see the strength of each city and at its best form, you know. Mm -hmm. But I I like being here. The price is not as much, but for me, I love the arts. I love the shows. I love. The fact that you got the city and then you had the beaches, you know, in Long Island yeah. and the country upstate has something for everyone here. Sure. That's a great place. But yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Well, listen, I want to ask you a few questions. I ask everybody on these, on sure. these podcasts. So the first one is, is what would you say you would consider your biggest success in life? My biz biggest success in life. Wow, that's an interesting one. Uh, I think on paper, writing two books by the age of 32 yeah. is uh the biggest success story but surviving death is another one and being able to not only know that there was life after death but experiencing life after my own near death yeah and being able to transition you know oh i wanted to ask one other question about you real quick some people who have an nde they go there but then someone kind of tells them hey it's right. not your time hmm? and sends you back is that was that your experience I honestly wish because it was very hard for I had to make the decision on my own and that was the hardest decision I really? made. But I I was given autonomy. So it's either you're told, you know, there's still some stuff you you know you could do that it's good for you, or you're told, hey, you know, it's up to you, whatever you feel is best. For myself, what why I stayed was I was able to see myself in my own purpose in this life. And I saw myself speaking in front of a lot of people, helping a lot of people. And so I just recognized that the afterlife is there, but this window of opportunity, this symphony, this journey to be on, this window is closing. And I, I want to take that window. I want to go there. Yeah. I want to experience what that is. And yeah. that's universal for all of us. We have a window to, to come back to this life and we're able to do it. And it's, it could be a beautiful thing too. You know, it's funny. I just popped into my head. Um, What's so interesting about this life, like you, you, we've talked a little bit about trauma and we've talked mm -hmm. about a lot of people think that this life is so terrible, but I can't help but think like when things hurt, um, you know, 
they hurt so much because we have the capacity to care so much or love so much. You know, when uh -huh. someone passes away, we feel uh -huh. sad. And the reason we feel sad is because we love them so much. And when you think of it that way, uh -huh. life is so beautiful. Think about that. Like I've gone through some pretty traumatic stuff in the last few years. And a lot of it has to do with betrayal and upset and, and, uh -huh. and uh, you know, people I love doing things that hurt me. But it's like they hurt so much because I had the capacity to love them so much. And that in that way, that makes this life pretty, pretty amazing. You know, that we have that capacity. And it can. But I think also it's a it's allowing our emotions to be in motion. Mm -hmm. So many people are living in a very trendy society and we just want to go on to the next thing, the next thing. We don't want to be with the difficult. Our society mm -hmm. is totally transform to avoid the difficult at all costs like we mm. just divert mm. from anything difficult and have something handle that for us you know so but again uh, there's an intelligence in our emotional hardwiring and if we're able to go through you know some of those difficult feelings there's a transformation that could happen where we experience agony agony and uh, hardship and acute grief to finding beauty and meaning of that person's life and what they were about, you know, and that could transform ourselves too. But I think people have to allow themselves to be present, know what that's like to feel. And if you're able to do that, that develops understanding and empathy for the next person. If you think that life is all about you, then all of your experiences, if they're bad, you'll see, geez, there's, there's no purpose. It's not good right now. So it's, life is not working for me. You know, and you understand that life is not working. Life works through us, not mm -hmm. necessarily, uh, you know, to us in a sense. Yeah. It happens for us, not to us. Yeah. You know, the thing that is interesting about that, when things are bad, people have a tendency not to progress. And, yeah. and that's, you know, that's another thing is that I, you know, I've had it simultaneously some of the worst, but also best years of my life at the same exact time. And I, and I attribute that a little bit to just because I'm feeling bad in the morning or something bad happened to me today doesn't mean I can't get the things done that I planned on getting done, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, just because something happened that hurt me doesn't mean I can't take my kids to the movies tonight, you know? And, wow. and so uh, just, just because this thing happened doesn't mean I can't go and help this client. You know, yeah, yeah. and uh, and that's why, like I said, I mean, there have been some days where someone has asked me, you know, how you doing? And I'm like, beautiful and terrible, <laughs> you know, right. It's, it's, and two, two things could be true at the same time. It doesn't have to be so one sided. But, yeah, the pivot, not only on the sports fields, that's a very important move to do in life. The reset, yeah. I mean, that's a part of that adaptability and just all right, this happened, but. I'm here now and that's that mindfulness and just getting back to foundation and, you know, a bad morning doesn't have to be, have to be a bad evening, much like someone who they lived a crappy 30, 40 years of their life that they didn't enjoy. It doesn't mean that they can't have a good life after that. It does mean yeah. that we have to find a different foundation, a different mindset, a different way to view life itself. You can't expect a different result from a different job, a different relationship if you're the same person. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah. So next question, what would you say is your biggest failure in life and what did you learn from it? I'm going to, well, 
this man is probably well now you're probably okay with him but before he passed he probably wasn't one of your favorites but i'm gonna give you some mamba mentality mr <laughs> kb very true. 20 24 i i listen um yeah i know he was yeah he was a kryptonite but yeah you know he said he once was asked like what's failure he said i don't know what failure is he said if i mess up against the sacramento kings on monday but if i learn of it you know, in film study Thursday, how did I really fail? I grew from that. So yeah. if you grow from failure, that's a success. But my biggest failure in my life, um, hmm, let's say my biggest regret was at times putting my ego um, in, in front of you know, others in my family, you know, I had a very tumultuous relationship. And at times, I just always needed to be right about things. And mm -hmm. when you're strong willed, that could be a strength. But, you know, sometimes you have get to learn to pick and choose your battles. And you have to learn, sometimes is harmony more important than being right. And as a kid, I was just kind of like a pit bull. And I just feel bad for not being the softest, nicest, the gentlest. I just I was, I was a pretty rough kid and it wasn't an easy situation. I was responding to a lot, but if I could turn back time, it would be maybe as a kid to be a little bit softer and more gentler to my family, my siblings, you know, just mm. to be a better son, to be um, someone who was kinder. Um, but I said a lot of cruel things as a kid that I cannot have back, you know, mm. to, to my siblings and, you know, those things have all allowed me to be more selective with how I conduct myself and how I speak to others. But also things that gave me sadness were just like, wow, you know, it could have been a lot more enjoyable in a way if I just focused on harmony more versus always needing to be right. Mm. You know? That's good advice. That's good yeah. advice. So the last question, uh, we've talked a lot about death, you know, so, uh, but at some point in the future, you are going to pass away for, for good. <laughs> yeah. this uh, life. And when that happens, uh, there'll be a funeral and a eulogy. What's one thing you hope somebody says in your eulogy about you? The same thing they said about my grandfather. He made this world a better place. Yeah. That's it. You think about it. That's the most, that's the biggest accomplishment. That's the biggest you know, it's the most beautiful thing that someone could say about you. From your existence, the world was better. So sometimes you'll just hear things and be like, oh, whatever. But from you being here, this world is a better place. And that hopefully is the essence of our lives. I can't say that about a lot of people. A lot of people would rather cause, you know, harm and damage than healing. And even the things that they feel that are healing are causing damage and harm. And they don't have the observing ego to recognize that they're living in delusional uh, thinking. So uh, hopefully coming from a place of good foundation that leads to helping others and making this world a better place is uh, what I would say. But also, you know, at the, at that, that I wasn't known as the near death experience guy. Hmm. I don't, I don't want to be defined by that. I want people yeah. to remember that they're afterlife people. I don't want people to be so attached to me or my message. I want my message to be a reminder of what other people know in their hearts. Yeah. And that is that we are eternal and that we are loved and we are cared for. And so much more than we could ever imagine, you know, and there's so much more inside of us and around us that we forget about. And near death experience is something that I had, but I don't, 
have a monopolization of heaven. I'm just, I'm just a guy, you know, I, yeah. I come and go like anyone else, but I happen to have this thing and I don't attach to it and neither should other people. I'm just a messenger of something and that's it. Mm. Yeah. Well, I am grateful for your message and it has been awesome to talk to you. Um, your books, where can people find life after breath and, uh, the, the wisdom the, of Jacob's the, ladder. They're both on Amazon and, you know, if, if you love it, you know, share it, review it. My books need all the support that they can get because I yeah. firmly believe in, you know, their message and I know it's it's impacted a lot. So hopefully readers could take a look at them and and they could be a part of you know, others' lives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have both books. I started Life After Breath and I have not done, uh, I haven't been able to get into the wisdom of Jacob's Ladder yet, but I certainly will. Thank and, you. Uh, and this has been a joy. You know, we're going to have to have you back on. We'll, we'll have you back on. After I actually read Wisdom of Jacob's uh, Ladder, I'm going to have some questions. and I'm going to use that as an excuse to get you back in here. So, Absolutely, Josh. An honor. Be well, my man. Keep up the good work. You know, stay in touch and always get to connect with uh, like-minded people who are making this world a better place each and every day through your work. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Well, if, you, if you've listened to all this, I appreciate you following, subscribe, and we'll talk to you again later.